Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through. You know, Chris, right here, I had something planned really nice. I was going to say, not so hard times anymore. Data with instant analysis of night two of WWE WrestleMania 39. That's right. Your favorite professional wrestling podcast is back for the sixth time in as many days as we near the conclusion of our WrestleMania 39 week spectacular. In a moment, we will be breaking down every match from night two of WrestleMania, giving you results, reaction, and grades as WWE concluded its biggest show of the year. And of course, we will be back, just so everyone knows, Tuesday, shortly after the Raw after WrestleMania ends with our next WWE episode. So if you have not listened to it already, be sure to check out the WrestleMania Night 1 Instant Analysis already in the podcast feed. And after this show, join us for one more WWE episode. That gives us seven podcasts in eight days. That, of course, is coming Tuesday, once again, covering the Raw after WrestleMania, as well as the WWE Hall of Fame. One other note, if you wish to acknowledge us and or support the podcast getting over this week open the equivalent of a patreon through buymeacoffee.com slash getting over the link is in our twitter bio at getting overcasts in our feed i also just gave it to you you can become an official getting overhead with a monthly or annual membership and receive a bunch of exclusives including extra audio and news posts including one that went up today that i didn't necessarily know was going to have to do with the ending of wrestlemania 39 but nevertheless ultimately did Also, you can support us one-off if you want through that same website on this podcast. You know it. It's true. I happen to love the number five. And don't worry. Getting Over will remain a free podcast for you. Nothing is changing with the show itself. These are just extras. Also, don't forget that Getting Over is all about the five. So please, folks. Stop being marks for yourselves and... Go back to being a mark for me. Leave a five-star rating and review for us on Apple Podcasts. On Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating as well. But on Apple, let everyone know how much you love the show. If you leave a five-star review, we will read it live right here on the podcast. And also don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Chris, this is the second WWE WrestleMania 39 instant analysis in as many nights. And as we do on these shows, we kick things off by cracking open a cold one. And I'll tell you right now, I need it after both of these nights, but especially after night two. And the Silver King tonight is drinking Super Mars and Bros. Yes, it's a Super Mario Brother takeoff beer from Florida Avenue. Never had it before. Very excited. Chris, welcome to the show. What do you got over there? I have, once again, a Mike's Hard Lemonade. This time, an actual official sponsor of this night of WWE, uh, inadvertently. Uh, Hard Lemonade for Hard Times. You know, Dusty always talked about hard times, and well, I guess he wouldn't be the son of Dusty Rhodes if he didn't lose in excruciating fashion. Well, good job putting the cart before the horse there, Chris. We're just about to get started with our WrestleMania 39 instant analysis. Let's go ahead and get right into it. Of course, this is night two. As I said, once more, night one already in the feed if you have not heard that already. Of course, you can listen to this and go back to that, but you can also pause, listen to that, and come back to this podcast. So let's start this breakdown of night two with the main event, the undisputed WWE Universal Championship, Roman Reigns defending against Cody Rhodes. First, we did have a go-home moment from SmackDown. Cody did a promo in the ring in the main event of that show. He said he's put all his cards on the table, so he's ready to execute on Sunday. And because he has nothing left to say, 
He started rapping California Love. Rhodes said it was interesting Reigns called him out for not being the guy in his company, given it took tens of millions of dollars and eight years for Roman to finally actually be the guy in WWE. Cody addressed Roman through the camera, reintroducing himself as Reigns' successor, the next head of the table, and the next world champion. Roman cut him off with his entrance music before he could say finish the story. Reigns made like a five-minute entrance to the ring, and rather than ask the fans to acknowledge him, he did it in Cody's face during a stare-down. Then he specifically raised the WWE title right in Cody's grill as Paul Heyman held on to the Universal in the background. And for as great, Chris, as Cody's solo promo came across, and I did think it was great, Roman saying nothing and the guys only going face-to-face for a few seconds after not really interacting that much. Don't forget, two segments were Cody and Heyman. We did get one great one on Raw with Cody and Roman, but that's all we really got. This left a lot to be desired as a go-home moment. The imagery and the mind games of Reigns only holding the WWE title to Cody's face. I thought that was a nice touch, but the entire thing just left something to be desired. Yeah, I didn't like this. It didn't get me any more excited. We Roman had missed the previous three shows of TV, and he comes back just to do this, just to do nothing. It didn't add any edge. It didn't add any excitement. It was just kind of a waste of time, and that was really a letdown from SmackDown. Yeah, I do think that is fair to say. All right, let's get to the match at WrestleMania. Uh, The Cody Vader returned along with some sparse but tremendous pyro to start. Cody actually had white and gold angel wings on his jacket, which is just so extra. It's so Cody. Of course, he's putting angel wings on his jacket. His entire family was ringside, except for Dustin, of course. And he picked up Liberty, his daughter, for a big hug. Then Brody Lee's son, who some know as negative one in AEW, he was also ringside, and he was the recipient of Cody's weight belt. It was such an incredibly sweet moment. I will tell you, Chris, seeing all this, I was like, man, they are going a little bit overboard with all of this emotion, and it kind of telegraphed some stuff, at least for me. Roman's entrance had six grand pianos, and he came out with Heyman and Solo Sokoa. I'm almost positive he had a mix of real and augmented reality pyro, it felt like. I could be wrong about that. Michael Cole said Reigns is the first ever to defend the same title at three straight WrestleManias and also pointed out how he has a top five longest reign of all time. Reigns then got huge pyro when he raised the titles in the ring. Samantha Irvin crushed the announcements. Cody got a huge pop and Roman was vociferously booed. Usually it's not that loud, but the crowd has been firmly against him in both Montreal and Los Angeles. Before the bell, Reigns grabbed the mic, tried to work the crowd, and screamed, WrestleMania, acknowledge me to even more boos. There were no special, really, theatrics beyond all of that, but Chris, for mostly basic entrances, you know, for the most part, they still made this feel like an absolutely enormous match. Cole and the crowd both deserve a lot of credit for that. I'm ready to call it. Roman Reigns has the greatest entrance in totality in wrestling history. Not just like the specific one, but just the whole thing. And this one with the piano version of the song, which is one I've literally dreamed of, and I have a version of it on my iPhone that I listen to. Everything about it was incredible. Like They absolutely made this feel like the biggest thing in the world heading into the match. They always nail these things. And I like the excitement from... Me, people I know who were there, people who weren't there but are just watching WrestleMania for the first time, uh, we're, we're incredibly excited. All right, now we are going to do this in two parts, just so everyone is clear. First, we're going to talk about the match. Then we are going to talk about 
the booking. So first, the match is a lot to say here. Okay, cracking the knuckles, you know, moving the neck around a little bit. All right, Reigns. Go do you? Yeah, Reigns got frustrated early after a punch, so Heyman motivated him at ringside. Roman countered disaster kick into a power bomb, then slammed Cody onto the ramp. He was acting all cocky and confident, but Cody responded with the same type of body slam. With the referee distracted, Sokoa jabbed a steel chair into Rhodes' ribs, priming him for a spear. Soon after, Solo tripped Cody. Roman cleared the announce tables with Cody countering a powerbomb into a back body drop of Reigns through one of them. Cody back inside caught Roman with a Randy Orton-like power slam and Cody cutter for a 2.9. Rhodes hit a tope suicida that nearly broke the barricade. Sokoa then stole the weight belt from Brody and smacked it over Rhodes' back, but it was so loud that the referee heard it and ejected Solo to a massive, massive pop from the crowd. Reigns grabbed the belt and did a tug of war with the official. Cody caught him blind with a kick and then hit crossroads for the first false finish. Reigns laid in a jawbreaker headbutt and clubbing elbows. Roman caught Cody flipping over the ropes and hit a uranagi, which was specifically called a rock bottom by Michael Cole for another near fall. The call was definitely on purpose. The move got a huge pop. Heyman held up the stone necklace before Rhodes countered a Superman punch into the pedigree for a 2.99 false finish. Reigns countered disaster kick with a perfectly placed Superman punch. Heyman started motivating again as Roman sat in the corner with his head in his hands. Rhodes leapfrogged the spear, then put in the figure for a leg lock as Reigns screamed, but ultimately reversed it. Cody hung Roman up on the top rope, then jumped over him off the top rope, but ate a spear coming back for another 2.99 false finish. Reigns called his shot and guillotined Rhodes, who faded but kept the arm raised on a single drop attempt. So Roman cinched it in, wrapping his legs around Rhodes' body, but Cody powered and slid out of his arm with an incredible camera angle catching the entire thing. And he was the first person ever to break that hold, which commentary called out and had pre- the hold itself had previously been undefeated. Cody accidentally knocked out the referee with a kick, then ate a Superman punch. Cody rose and looked to the sky. He was about to hit crossroads when the Usos ran in for a super kick and tried to revive Roman. They hit 1D and dragged Roman onto Cody, only for Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens to run out of the crowd and eliminate them. KO hit Reigns with a stunner, and Sami followed with a haluva kick. Then they brawled with the Usos into the crowd, clearing the stage once again for Roman and Cody. Cody covered for a 2.999 false finish after the stunner and haluva kick, and Cole sold that as it was the end of the match. Literally everyone in the crowd now was on their feet. They traded strikes and kicks. Cody sidestepped a Superman punch and hit Dusty's left jabs and his bionic elbow, which completely popped me. Then he did Dustin's throat punch when he falls on the canvas, and not one but two crossroads. He went for a third when Paul Heyman jumped onto the apron and Cody kind of backed into the corner. Solo snuck back into the ring in a black hooded sweatshirt, hit Cody with a Samoan spike. Reigns then ran the ropes for the ultra spear for the one, two, three to retain the undisputed WWE Universal Championship in 35 minutes. No dusty finish. Nothing extra after the bell, just Reigns walking out in Sokoa's arms with Heyman, a shit ton of pyro going off. Cody looked completely distraught in the ring. There was a camera angle of him looking really sad with Roman and all of them kind of walking up, celebrating behind him. He clasped his hands over his mouth, looked upwards, and basically WrestleMania went off the air. So ladies and gentlemen, let me be the first to state the plane was not landed. 
Talk about having a lot to unpack. Like I said at the start here, Chris, let's start with the match. Then we will get to everything else. The match was phenomenal, okay? Extremely old school from a psychology standpoint. A bit slow in plotting early, but it was exactly the type of match for the most part their parents and uncles would have wrestled. Classic WWE style with a modern twist. The false finishes were tremendous. Even the booking of the final sequence of the match was perfectly executed, just as we thought it would be up until the Samoan spike. And even that technically was executed well. It's just, spoiler alert, what Chris and I are going to talk about a little bit later, the wrong decision. I went 4.75 stars and an A-plus for the match, only docking it for all of the interference. Chris, like I said, we're going to talk about the booking in a moment. Let me get you in here, though, to talk about the match first, because the booking itself is an entire separate conversation. But between the Dusty stuff and all the different callbacks they had, bringing the Usos and Sammy and KO in, and everything I already mentioned here, the Rock reference, all that, I did think it was a phenomenally wrestled match. Everybody has their favorite style of match or things that they like to see in a match. It's all subjective. That's that's why we like wrestling. That's why there's different kinds of wrestling that people like. Uh, that's why there's a big difference between WWE and AEW many times in terms of the matches that we get. This is my favorite kind of match. The ones that feel like the biggest thing in the world and they take their time, but not they don't go too slow and they give you big moment here, big moment here, table bump here, solo ejected there, like it, 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 it interference here and there. You always dock matches for interference. I love it. When the ref bump happened, I stood up. I was like, oh boy, here we go. Ref bump happened. We're going to get people running in now. And like, I love that stuff. I'm giving this match a 4.75 as well. And I'm only docking it for the finish if you can technically do that. But in terms of like what what you like to see in a match, like when I, like the matches that I go back and watch, the ones that stay with me mm-hmm. since I was a kid, it's these types of matches that are that are laid out this way, that have false finishes this way, that have the spectacle in the moment this way. Uh, I thought it was it was on its path to being one of the, maybe one of the best WrestleMania matches of all time. To me, the best match is Rock versus Hogan at eighteen. This was on um, this was so close to being right there for me. So just to be clear, not that our ratings or our grades matter really at all. Okay, I don't dock matches for interference. I dock matches for excessive interference and distraction. And this one had excessive interference and distraction. Now, looking back, if Cody was to win and get the fall, maybe I would be singing a different tune because it would all make sense and it would pay off in the end. Because we had the distraction. This is what I liked. And this is what I told you on the Ultimate Preview. We've been talking about this match and how it should be booked for months now, okay? And what I have said this entire time was you do all the interferences with the Usos and KO and Sammy, whatever, but then you have them clear out of the ring and you give a clean finish so Cody wins, or even in this case, Roman Reigns wins. Which I thought... But, it, but it's clean. Which I clean. thought they were doing. You right. Know, we all, yeah, yeah and, and it looked like that's exactly what they were doing. Where I dock it then is coming back and doing even more interference and distraction just to get the result that you want. That is where that came in, not for the solo stuff early, not for the Usos and Sammy, because again, they all cleared out and the stage was set to get exactly what we wanted. 
except, you know, it didn't happen. Not just what we wanted, but a clean finish. So on that note, yeah. let's move away from the match and go to the booking. It was really tough as a viewer to see that be the outcome. Now, maybe this is a case yeah. of the creative being so good, and I'm giving benefit of the doubt briefly, that we got so completely worked that we're now angry about it. We have to admit that's a possibility, but it did feel like the audience got taken around the back of the house and got put down, mostly because so much goodwill had been built up through an absolutely incredible for the men and for this storyline road to WrestleMania, only for it to ultimately in the final moments not be paid off. They ran, like I just said, the exact appropriate finish through the Sammy and KO save only to not pull the trigger. Even more infuriating for me was Sokoa was banned from ringside, yet he came back. That set up the perfect Dusty finish. The referee counts one, two, three. He gets told what happened. The decision gets reversed. Cody hits the crossroads and wins the title. The Dusty finish was literally there for them to do with the exact same booking. So here's how I feel. We are not ultimately going to know whether this was the right or wrong decision until we see the end of Roman's reign. But right now, in the moment, it is really tough to see the forest through the trees. How exactly is this going to end now? I mean, Cody rematching at SummerSlam and getting the job done there instead of WrestleMania, to me, would be nonsensical. I cannot see Cody being hotter a few months from now than he was Sunday night at WrestleMania in Los Angeles. The Rock taking the title doesn't make any sense. Seth Rollins would be the only other answer, whether at 40 or otherwise. He does have that lone disqualification win over Roman. But then we're probably talking about another year at that point. This isn't the case of not getting the booking I wanted or we as fans wanted. Though sometimes the obvious choice is the right choice. And to quote Triple H, sometimes predictable things are good. But it's a confounding booking decision in the moment Given the state of the storyline, the level to which Cody was not only over, but ready and primed to take the torch and run with it, having a crowd that hot with so much momentum behind him in Los Angeles. We talked about that no one has been a bigger babyface in WWE than Cody since Daniel Bryan during the Yes Movement, and you can make an argument he's even bigger than that. It just felt like WWE took all of this goodwill it had garnered over months, this entire run, this road to WrestleMania, and perhaps flushed it away, maybe even pissing off the entirety of their audience in the process. Now, people always get mad in the moment and they watch anyway, but reading some of the stuff out there, and again, it's probably a finite number of people, but F this, I'm never watching again, this is BS, you know, typical WWE not pulling the trigger. And in the moment, it is okay to feel that way. If you feel that way, I'm not telling you that you're wrong. It was also emblematic of the booking entirely on night two, which we will talk about later. I'll wrap on this, Chris. We talked previously about how WWE's decision to swerve us at WrestleMania 34, keeping the title on Brock Lesnar instead of Reigns, was a total shock in the moment. But at least it worked because Roman was not over as a face. This is not that. 
No one in the industry is more over than Cody right now. And they, again, just didn't pull the trigger. It is an astounding booking decision. And I'm sure some of you thought I was going to go on this crazy signature Silver King rant or something. But honestly, I'm far more shocked and confused than I am angry, in large part because the match was freaking fantastic other than the finish. I, th- I think we owe people an apology here. And I say that because after the Sammy stuff happened at Elimination Chamber and everybody was furious that they, they didn't take advantage of one of the hottest acts they had in a long time, mm-hmm. we both said, no, it's okay because they have this other story. It's good. When Cody wins, you're going to say it's great. When Kevin Owens and Sammy Zayn win, we're going to say it's awesome. It's going to work. They have told this story. It's going to work out. It's all set up. They've set it up beautifully. That's what's going to happen, and it's going to be amazing. And then they didn't do it. If you weren't going to, if it wasn't going to be Drew McIntyre in Cardiff, and then it wasn't going to be Sammy in, in Montreal, mm-hmm. it had to be Cody in LA. There's nothing left. There's nothing left to do here. And, and there are a lot of people. I know either lapsed wrestling fans or part-time wrestling fans who will only turn in tune in for WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. And that match had them on the edge of their seat. Just seeing it all over my timeline for people who were so excited about this. And then you get that finish and they're like, I can't believe we're back here again. <laughs> I, I really thought it was going to be different. I'm not watching raw on Monday. I'm going to watch a national championship game. Like they not like, Everything that this main event signified is that nothing has actually changed. Well, everything that happened over the last nine months, wait, wait, everything that happened over the last nine months, listening to to the fans, taking people along the ride, gaining trust that if we didn't get something we wanted, we know there's something coming later that we are going to want investing in people, investing in stories. And instead we got that mid 2010s. Ugh. all right, I guess they're doing that again. I don't need to keep watching this anymore. Ratings had gone up under Triple H. Attendance has gone up under Triple H. And everything this signified to me was that Vince McMahon may or may not be back in charge right now, but with the sale of the company reportedly about to happen, we may be going right back to where we were before all this happened, and that is incredibly discouraging. I don't know what happens from here. Like, J, like the J Roman story that we thought was going to happen, like could happen, but we're not, Jay's not going to beat Roman. Like that's not going to happen. I, right. Rock versus Roman a year from now. Are we really going to wait for that? Cody winning in Detroit at SummerSlam or something else is, is not going to be the same. I just don't understand. Like none of this matters. And the fact that very soon Vince McMahon is about to make billions from selling this company just goes to show that like it really doesn't matter. They are too big to fail now at this point. And I just don't understand this at all. And I'm just so incredibly discouraged as the company moves forward into a new era that may or may not involve the same people, but man, the opportunity here to have amazing finish at WrestleMania, new guy on top, bunch of new fans who came back and invested company sold all this excitement 
like there's just a lot of people shitting on this right now. And if you look at some of the, a lot of the trending topics on Twitter, which WWE loves to talk about, it's a lot like Vince is trending. Horrible is trending. Awful is trending. Like, Good God, man. What the hell just happened? Well, those are trending more for you. I'm looking at the the national trending, the United States ones, and it's Roman. Vince is definitely up there. You're right. It's number two. SummerSlam is up there. Night two. I mean, so you know, I don't see the most. You know, what's, num- you know what's number? You know what's number 20? At least it was 10, 20 minutes ago. American Nightmare. No L.A. Night. No yeah, L.A. Night. No, I have, I have no L.A. Night at 18 right now, but it's 1,700 tweets. I mean, whatever. Um, And we'll get to that. We'll get to L.A. Night and all that type of stuff later. So, no, I mean, you make salient points there. You do. It's it's crazy to think that they had three massive baby faces. Drew McIntyre, Sami Zayn, and Cody Rhodes. Sami and Cody more than Drew, but Drew at Clash of the Castle in Wales, still massively over, and they didn't go with any of them. I disagree that it all of a sudden like gives credence to people who said Sammy should have won it in Montreal because if they weren't going to have Cody win at WrestleMania, then Sammy was never winning in Montreal and Drew was never winning in Wales. And again, going to that, oh, oh Vince is back and he's now booking this. I want to talk about that a little bit more at the end when we recap this entire night too, because a prevailing thought on social media and elsewhere, the IWC tonight was, oh, clearly Triple H booked night one and Vince booked night two. How else can you explain it? Well, you can explain it because not everyone's perfect. And Triple H may be a great booker, but he also may be a not great booker in a, you know in certain circumstances. Or perhaps certain decisions were made long ago that he didn't have the chance to change. Or perhaps he just wanted to go in this direction and people find it tough to believe that this guy who they believe is a savior of creative, no one more so than me. I love Triple H's booking. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes you make decisions that people don't like and that end up being wrong. And you know what? Triple H did address this in the post-show press conference. He said, you're never going to know if the decision that you make from a creative standpoint is right or wrong in the moment. You're only going to know in the long term once the entire booking plays out. And then he added, quote, if I didn't feel like we had a compelling story on the other side, it wouldn't have been the decision, unquote. So you have to decide whether you want to believe that or not. And, you know, to this point, I got to be fair to Triple H. He has earned the benefit of the doubt. The problem is he earned the benefit of the doubt all the way up to this moment because that's the, the that was the let it play out you know, end game of Cody winning the title. Now, it was also Sammy and KO, of course, winning the tag team titles, and that did happen. But you also had Roman Reigns coming out and saying, hey, we're in the third inning of a ball game, and we got plenty more good stuff on the way. It's a long game, and we're going to go deep. How deep are we going to go, okay? Many will point, Chris, to Reigns surpassing a 1,000 days as the reason why he retained here. That's not a good reason. It's a round number, sure, but nothing more than a round no. number. Yeah. The next record to pass is Pedro Morales at 1,027 days. Then you have Bruno Sammartino's second longest reign at 1,237 days. If he takes this title into WrestleMania 40, and the goal is for him to drop it at WrestleMania 40, another big round number, right? And perhaps that's the move. He would pass the fourth and fifth longest reigns. I think he'd get to third or fourth there. I don't know if they count Bob Backlund's where he dropped it, but WWE claims he didn't. Whatever the case, he'll be inside of the top five as opposed to number five. That's really the point. But in order to get to number one, if they want this to be the longest title reign in history, 
it's going to take more than 18 additional months from this spot. And I just cannot see them saying, hey, you know what? Let's put Roman Reigns over everybody. I, I don't see that happening. So, I two things here. Let me clarify real quick. First, that would be to number two. Yeah, yeah. That would be to number two because Bruno's now, is like 2,400 days or whatever. Yeah. Sorry. Bruno's had it for Bruno had it for like 10 years or something like that. <laughs> that was, that's yeah, what yeah. I was gonna say. So number two all time. Right, like yeah. 10 years. That that ain't happening. So I said I said this on the go home, I think on the preview and then on the Twitter spaces too, and on the extra thing we did Friday night for subscribers. They have coming into this, the last couple of weeks, they stopped telling Cody's story. And I criticized the hype video for this match. I said they didn't talk, barely didn't talk about Dusty. There was only one image of his pack. They didn't talk about him quitting and all this stuff. It just became Cody's got to do it. Cody's got to do it. And I was like, this is this is not meeting the moment. And now, in hindsight, that's probably why. Because they didn't want you to get too extra invested for people who were just tuning in, giving you the entire life story of Cody Rhodes and just how much this would mean to tear their hearts out. Because the same thing happened with Sheamus. They stopped telling the Sheamus story and we realized, I don't think Sheamus is winning this match. Same thing happened with Cody these last couple weeks, looking back on it. And then the other thing I'm going to say, we, we can talk about this now, we can talk about this whenever. Who beats Roman now? Because well, Drew was never going to be over, more over than he was. Sammy was never going to be more over than he was. I don't think Cody will be more over than he was. If they try to do Cody again and they try to tell the story of I have to get I have to make right what was wrong at WrestleMania 40. I'm sorry. That's not as compelling as most of the story they had told this time around. Mm -hmm. Is it John Cena breaking the record? No, no, can't I can't. Be. I don't think it's I don't think it's Jay not White after that freaking performance. Not after that freaking performance in the opening match. Like who's left now? Well, that's the I thing. Know, I literally don't know what. So, so I mentioned. And I don't that, think they know. I mentioned that a little bit earlier when I said, "Hey, Cody rematching at SummerSlam not going to be hot as he was. Doesn't make sense to do it just to pass a thousand days. The Rock taking the title doesn't make any sense. So even if you want that match, The Rock winning it wouldn't make any sense because then you're you're not putting anyone over by beating Reigns. The whole point of no. having a title reign like this is to put someone over and theoretically make them, which they could have done here with Cody." Really, the only person, if it's not Cody in a rematch, is Seth Rollins. You have the Shield storyline. It makes all the sense in the world. And, of course, he's the only one right now who holds a victory over Reigns. He got the DQ win. I think it was at the Royal Rumble two years ago, if memory serves. Um, so you have Rollins that has that feather in his cap where he can make that claim. And Rollins has been talking a lot this week about being in celebrity matches and long feuds and not really being put in position to be the guy in WWE like he should be given everything he's given to the business. Now, the other point that you made is who's left, right? Like even if forget winning the title, Roman has to defend it over the next year. So who's left for him to do that against? Well, Bobby Lashley is sitting there. That is one to me that is completely obvious. But other than Lashley, really he's gone through like everyone, even if you think about people who aren't on TV right now, Randy Orton, he's gone through. Matt Riddle, he beat on a SmackDown. Edge, he beat twice. Um, it, it's, you know, Shinsuke Nakamura was the one guy who should have had a match, but never he, actually did. So theoretically, you could run back. Sheamus, he beat. Yeah, you could run back Shinsuke. Sheamus, he beat Drew. Yep. Yeah. 
There's, there's, there's Gunther, you know, Gunther know hasn't been left. beaten by him, of course. So that's another option. No question. But like but Gunther retains, but Gunther retains. So that's not happening. Sure. But I, I thought Cody was going to win and I thought Gunther was going to be the first person he went up against that. that That's what I thought was coming out. And the, clearly none of that has happened. Yeah, none of it's happened. Now, look, uh, there's going to be more fallout from this. Of course, the Raw after WrestleMania. Chris and I also will give our second thoughts on WrestleMania coming up Tuesday on this Raw after WrestleMania podcast. Any additional things that we think about, um, we rewatch and, and have additional notes. So we will cover this story more. But, you know, we have gone half hour on this match alone. I hope you all enjoyed that breakdown and just the overall takes that we had and, and trying to think of it from a emotional standpoint, but also a factual standpoint in terms of what the reasoning for WWE doing this is. And, you know, we can't really pinpoint it. I... I don't think a good enough reason is the sale. I don't think a good enough reason is 1,000 days. If they have a plan, and if you trust Paul Heyman and Triple H and what Roman Reigns, what they all said after the show went off the air, then that's great. It's going to be very curious to see. They are going up against the national championship. It's going to be very curious to see what happens uh, Monday night on Raw, what the ratings look like, and where they go with this story. The only other person, by the way, that we didn't talk about, and it is someone that Roman already beat, Chris, just quickly to wrap it up, Jay Uso, you know, theoretically, that is the culmination of the story. It began with Jay and it could end with Jay. But the problem, and I think you said this, is I don't see Jay Uso becoming, you know, undisputed WWE no. Universal Champion. <laughs> no, no, it, that's not happening. So yeah. there's no one left. Last, last thing I'll, I'll put on this. Um, sure. Did you see the rubber chicken in the ring at the end? I did. Yeah. Someone threw that in the ring, I guess. I I, I think that that was just like an iconic image of that finish. Because I tell you what, the booking of that was a joke. Yeah. All right. We got a lot more left on this WrestleMania night two instant analysis. This is going to be a very interesting show. I'm curious what your thoughts are and what our grades are at the end of the show. I did probably forget to mention that. We will give you our expectation grades and our final grades, not just for night two, but all of WrestleMania at the end of this show. All right. Let's get to the Raw Women's Championship. Bianca Belair against Asuka. Both women got special entrances. Asuka had others dressed in her full getup as they debuted a really new awesome mask for her. Belair had a Divas of Compton uh, dance team filled with little girls from California. They did this whole performance on the stage, went down the ramp with her. Chris, it was the cutest WrestleMania entrance of all time. And honestly, I think it was one of the best WrestleMania entrances of all time, too. What a moment for those girls. Yeah. Triple H teared up in the press conference afterward. Apparently, one of their mothers died like the day or two days before this, and they still went out and did it. I mean, so touching. I'm getting kind of goosebumps even saying that right now. So touching, so emotional, even not knowing that. It was so damn cool. Yes. The the girl who flipped her feet in front of her head the contortionist. was like insane. Yeah. I was ridiculous. I saw a bunch of people said Bray Wyatt doesn't need to come back now. She's the new spooky figure. <laughs> you can develop all the lore around her. But yeah, Bianca Belair now two years in a row, the, the Texas Southern band last year, uh, two epic entrances for her. Loved it. This one was incredible in particular. All right, to the match. Asuka caught Belair's handspring into a submission, briefly got an Asuka lock in. They countered each other outside with Belair wrenching Asuka into a huge powerbomb on the floor. It made a massive thud. Asuka then avoided Belair, whose shoulder nailed the post. Asuka countered Glam Slam into an ankle lock, but Belair powered out of that, wrenching her up into a backdrop. Asuka caught another handspring with an ankle lock, then hit a missile dropkick inside and another on the apron into the post. Bianca ran Asuka into the post, then vertical suplexed her from the second rope, powering her all the way over the ropes from the apron. Belair hit a fantastic running blockbuster and finally delivered the handspring moonsault on her third attempt. 
Asuka pulled Bianca off the ropes using her braid and hit a code breaker. Belair did a glam slam into the top turnbuckle and then taunted. Asuka blocked KOD by grabbing the ropes. And then Belair, when she like rebounded backwards, bumped into the referee. Asuka turned around, decided to mist her in the face, but Bianca like dropped to a knee to avoid the mist and put Asuka in the KOD. Asuka rolled through it and caught Belair in an armbar as the crowd exploded ready for the finish. Belair sold the armbar a little bit, but eventually rolled her over, then rolled her up onto her shoulders with the armbar still in as Bianca then tossed her off, hit the KOD out of the armbar to retain the title in 16 minutes. And then later backstage, Belair celebrated with all the little girls in another super cute moment. Now, this match, Chris, had the unenviable spot of following the Intercontinental title match. And it did take the crowd a little bit to get into it. But the talent of Belair and Asuka got them plenty hype for the finish. Corey Graves had a really good shout that Belair seemed like she was trying to win with every single bit of offense that she did. That's how I viewed this match. There was a good story to tell here about Belair doubting she could beat a legend like Asuka. But of course, they never told that story. The crowd doing dual chance for them indicated that this was a fine booking, but it just needed more story. When I mean a fine booking, I'm saying the match actually happening. We argued about whether the right people were matched up at WrestleMania. The only way the in-ring portion of this match could have been better was with Bianca selling more. Every time she got into one of the submissions, she was out of it relatively quick, and it just never seemed like she was really in danger of losing the match. And the title change here is what seemed like was badly needed. The crowd was ready for the title change, but still they were both awesome. The toughest task is rating and grading it because last night's Charlotte Flair-Rhea Ripley match was so incredible. And even though this was great from an in-ring standpoint, it just really struggled to compare to that. I'm going to say 4.25 stars and an A because really you could not ask for much more from the ring work. But I think it fell short of that 4.5, the higher A that I can normally give. It's the other elements here that could have been better, including the fact that Belair ducked the mist but Asuka never missed at her in the face in the entire build. If she had done that, then Bianca perhaps would have been prepared for it and maybe even scared of it, needed to avoid it. But she never did. So this entire build, Asuka never looked like she was some dominant woman ready to dethrone Bel Air and then ultimately just didn't at the end. It was just two good women's wrestlers who fought a good women's wrestling match. So again, 4.25 stars in an A. I'll start off with this. Remember when we did this podcast after SummerSlam 2021 and Becky returned to beat Bianca in like 10 seconds or whatever that was. And all the people online said, Bianca's buried. They've buried her. They ruined her. (laughs) All this kind of stuff. And, And you and I immediately said, absolutely not. She is the face of the women's division. She is an ambassador for this company. She's going to get her win back. That's the story. It's fine. They love her. Mm -hmm. Here we are now where we're so sick of how dominant she is and winning all the time. (laughs) It's the complete opposite of, of, of where it was. They love her too much. This match, the match was great. It's very, very fun. Anytime Oscar gets to go one-on-one with somebody who can keep up with her. Because then you really, truly get to see just how freaking good Asuka is. Exactly. 
the 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 power bomb on the outside was brutal. Like this was physical and quick and just two awesome wrestlers going at it. And I I I loved it until the finish. And I was just like, like of of the of the three of the final three matches, all three of which I disagreed with the booking decision. But this was the one that was most likely to go the other way. I picked Asuka, Bianca won. I'm not surprised. But it's in the same spot now where where does this character go? What is there left to do? She's beaten almost everybody. And if if she can beat Asuka and Bailey and all these other people one on one, Becky, there's nobody else who's bold. There's nobody else. Yeah, there's nobody else Sasha. believable to beat her. The only the only other option here, I think, is and I don't think but I don't think you do this right away. Maybe SummerSlam. It's Charlotte. Charlotte lost. She gets back to Raw. The only point. person yeah, who like, should not beat her. Like the only person who shouldn't do it. You know, the yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I don't think they've done a feud yet, but I think that's the only thing left for Bianca. And I'm kind of dreading it because she's going to lose the title and Charlotte's going to get well, to number 15. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me just tell you. So so before I get to what's gonna, actually going to happen here, Belair is now 3-0 and at WrestleMania with two main event wins, two title wins, and a title defense. She's beaten Becky Lynch, Sasha Banks, and Asuka. I mean... One, two, and three in terms of in-ring women's talent in WWE, no matter how you want to slice it, okay? Also, this is now a year-long title reign with the Raw Women's Championship. Asuka is now, I don't know if it's 0-4 or 0-5, but she's 0-4 at WrestleMania, which is just completely unacceptable. And Belair, with this win, Chris, has now firmly become Jane Cena. It's an LOL mm-hmm. Bianca wins types of situation at this point. She's probably not going to lose until there's a money in the bank cash in because that will protect her. And it's the way WWE takes titles off any champion, really, but especially a women's champion. They do it every single year. They cash it in on the show the next night or within a week or something like that. And chances are the way Belair gets dethroned is because someone wins money in the bank and just happens to catch her after she loses a hard-fought match or beats her with a weapon, and she's so drained that they get the one, two, three. And then, who knows, maybe even Belair wins the title back in two months. Like, this, I gotta tell you, like, I was really dismayed by the Roman Reigns booking, no question. I'm not saying that this was worse booking or a worse decision, because this match had zero storyline. And the Cody match had a ton of storyline, and there was every reason for Cody to win. The only reason for Asuka to win is because Belair's reign has been terrible. If they repair Bel Air and they rejuvenate her and they put her in really meaningful women's storylines that actually have depth to them, then this can be fine. It, I, it sucked for me as a fan to see Asuka lose, but I'm not going to rake them over the coals because of it. However, they are on the verge, even though she's younger and she's popular and she's different than really almost any women's champion that preceded her in WWE. They're on the verge of turning her, like I said, into Jane Cena. And they need to be very careful because they are flirting with disaster if that happens. I agree. Now, like, look, you're about to sell the company. This isn't time. This isn't the time to, to turn her heel. I, I, we'll talk about it at the end. But, you know, you do kind of wonder how much the sale played into things that that happened this weekend. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. But Bianca is such a good ambassador for the company. Like you, I get it. 
Like, I understand this. I understood the Cena stuff. We didn't understand pushing Roman so much because that wasn't working. But pushing Cena worked. Pushing Bianca has worked. But just in terms of the story, like, you got to put her in some danger, you know? Like, it's not fun when the person wins all the time, has the belt, and keeps winning. Like, that's not interesting. Like, you got you to gotta bring him down and bring him back up. And it's been so long since Bianca was down. Yes, it really has. It's been, you know what? It's been a year and a half. SummerSlam. That's the last time. SummerSlam 01. 21, yep. That's the last time. All right, let's get to the mid-show featured match, the Intercontinental Championship Gunther against Drew McIntyre and Sheamus in a triple threat. Quickly from SmackDown, McIntyre and Sheamus fought Ludovic Kaiser and Giovanni Vinci. Sheamus entered, but Drew cut him off and stormed past him. Sheamus interrupted the Claymore with a tag. Then the faces got drop-kicked into each other. Sheamus then hit Vinci with a bro kick for the one, two, three, as McIntyre nailed Kaiser with a Claymore. They stared off, and Gunther just stood backstage watching them. I did think it was a strong showcase match, Chris. You and I, it's really funny, because we talked about this briefly after the fact. Given the result that we saw on SmackDown, I further entrenched myself in being sure Gunther was winning and you further entrenched yourself in believing McIntyre was winning. I just found that to be very entertaining that we saw a result and we both thought it affirmed what our prediction was going into the match. Yes, because to me, the story that they started to tell over the last few weeks with this was Sheamus versus Drew and Gunther was just like there. So I was like, I think we're going into Sheamus Drew from here from here on. So that's why that's why I further thought Drew was going to win this one. So that is exactly why I was so sure Gunther would retain because they were concentrating on each other rather than the Intercontinental Championship, which was the goal of the match. Let's get to what happened at WrestleMania. Titus O'Neil was again a guest commentator here. McIntyre came out looking awesome, wearing all white, kilt included. Sheamus got support on stage from the Brawling Brutes. Gunther was introduced by Kaiser and Imperium was all back wearing dark navy gear. They looked awesome. McIntyre delivered Claymore to Gunther at the bell, but he missed him even though he sold it. It was really the only botch of the entire match. Gunther chopped the shit out of Sheamus. Drew then blasted him in the face. (laughs) Hey now, uh, to break a submission. Gunther and McIntyre chopped the ever-loving shit out of each other. Sheamus and McIntyre then combined to exchange 10 beats with 10 chops on Gunther. Then Sheamus caught Drew for 28 beats, only failing to reach 30 because Drew collapsed onto the canvas. The crowd went absolutely insane for this. McIntyre hit all his signatures, but Gunther avoided Claymore. Shotgun dropkicked him into the corner and hit a powerbomb. Sheamus caught Gunther with avalanche white noise and a Celtic cross for a false finish. Sheamus got Gunther in the cloverleaf, but McIntyre interfered. Sheamus caught Gunther with a bro kick, but McIntyre pulled him out of the ring to his shock and disappointment. Drew knocked Sheamus off the apron with Glasgow kiss and hit the sick Tope Con Hero that he does. Sheamus then countered Claymore with a bro kick for another false finish. McIntyre then hit a Glasgow kiss. He absorbed a pump knee and hit a Claymore, yes, you guessed it, for another false finish. All of this while Gunther was nowhere to be found. They exchanged a ton of killer punches and forearms. Sheamus hit a second brogue on Drew, but couldn't capitalize in time. And suddenly, as they were going for that delayed pinfall, Gunther flies in off off the screen. We didn't see it. I really want to see the angle. Uh, Flies in off the screen with his huge splash. He powerbombed Sheamus into McIntyre and then powerbombed McIntyre, pinning Drew for the one, two, three, to retain the Intercontinental Championship 
in 19 minutes. Chris, I do not want to delay the inevitable here. You want your five-star classics? <laughs> Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> <laughs> Reinforce the ring post. The beat's gonna be flying tonight, gentlemen. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. There's a lot of beef out here. Chris, this was a five-star A plus match. It gets all five slabs of beef, but not just like regular beef, like this is the beef that Brock Lesnar butchers at that shop with those mountain men, okay? It's already it's the same night. I'm telling you, it's one of my all-time favorite wrestling matches. I'll be honest. I expected a five-star match. This was still better than what I expected. I just don't break my scale. They somehow took Gunther and Sheamus from Clash at the Castle, added Drew, and not only maintained the brutality, but expanded it. Beyond the meat slapping, we got tremendous storytelling with Sheamus and Drew. Gunther looked like an absolute monster in the finish. And the crowd reaction can only be described as top tier. This was epic on its own. The crowd made it historic to me. I have only ever exceeded five stars for one match ever. That was Kenny Omega, Kazuchika Okada, number four. It's the only one I've ever done it, but I'll tell you what, I came really freaking close to doing it again here. Holy shit, this match right here, Chris, was a freaking banger and I think it might have been the match of the weekend. It was the match of the night. It was the match of the weekend. It was five stars. It was five slabs of beef. It was everything we hoped it would be. Like, we all we all called that this was going to be the match of the weekend, and it's still over-delivered on that. The false finishes in this match got me like crazy. And I tell you what, I'm usually not a guy who likes all the chest slapping. Like every, when every single Brian Danielson match where he gets chopped until his chest bleeds, like I hate that because it's not, it's trying to, it's trying to show that you can take a lot of slaps to your chest and you're bleeding. It's not describing offense. It's describing defense. I loved it here though, because it's three giant dudes beating the piss out of each other. Like we're like power ranger bad guys like punching each other with the megazords and stuff like that they were moves that were done for the sake of offense not done for the sake of look how tough i am that's why it worked i loved every single minute of this and i really thought as this was going on as the match was going on that drew was gonna win for one he came out in white and that is always a heel move Mm. uh when, when you come out in white secondly when Seamus and Drew are doing the punch back and forth. You're getting the cheer for Seamus. You're getting the boo when Drew punches. I was like, it's working. They're telling the story that I want them to tell. And then Guther comes in and wins. And you're like, ah, man. Like, I'm not mad that Guther won. Guther is incredible. I'm glad he continues to get this shine. But I just really thought we were going to go there. It feels like none of these guys are done with each other uh, in some form. It feels like they're going to continue in some form what they've been doing. Uh, I don't know what this means for Money in the Bank in London, but I imagine it will involve some combination of these three guys. Awesome stuff. Glad that they got this moment. They deserve their flowers, a phrase that apparently is used too much, but absolute match of the weekend. It was exceptional. It it really was. I mean, I already went crazy on it. I wish I had more to say. It it was it was that great. It was I, I was I'll be honest. I rolled my eyes a second night in a row 
seeing Titus jump on commentary. And I love the guy. I'm a Florida Gator. He's a Florida Gator. So he's my dude. But he delivered for the second straight night. I'm not doubting him anymore. If you're having a meat slap fest, put Titus on commentary. I will listen. He is pure energy and, and excitement. Sugar honey iced tea. I'm all in with Titus. When when Drew ran and jumped over the top rope outside, everybody went crazy. And and Cole was like, so, said something like to Titus, like you could never do that. And Titus is like, I would never try that. <laughs> you know, like Titus really put everybody over in every situation. And his his excitement for the moves and the matches and everything just really added to it on both nights. So you're right. Credit to him for two really good jobs on commentary. All right, let's move to Brood Edge against the Demon Finn Balor inside Hell in a Cell, which was technically the co-main event. It was the second-to-last match on the card. This was introduced by Russell Crowe doing some taped speech about demons that was actually pretty damn good. Uh, Edge then got a really sick Brood entrance with a reflective skull helmet as Slayer played. And I got to just be honest, I'm not a huge heavy metal fan, but I know Slayer, and I never, ever thought I would hear Slayer played on a WWE show, let him loan at WrestleMania. But hey, maybe that's an indication Triple H did have the book after all for this show, even though others don't want to believe that. Uh, then Edge's regular entrance followed that. Balor's demon had a spiked mohawk with a mixed purple and red motif and purple smoke sticks. Uh, he also entered with a slow-mo camera. So they tried to amp up the entrance because it wasn't dark. It was still really bright out and it all shone through the stadium. You know, I think WWE actually did the best they possibly could to do his entrance uniquely, despite not having the darkness, which is such a huge part of the demon and the smoke and the whole deal. Balor looked like a million bucks. He looked ready for war. And as we noted before, the cell was silver. Thank heavens. The red was actually gone. In terms of the pre-match, Chris, I really loved the pageantry aspect of it. Yep, I... I said I was looking forward to the entrances more than the match for this, and both entrances were awesome. I actually, it was very funny that on the on the Titantron or the whatever the screen, it said Brood. Edge. I was like laughing so name. freaking hard, dude, because I've been calling him Brood Edge on the show, but just been, yeah, just to like describe yeah. the character I thought we would get, it said Brood Edge. I was I thought I was losing my mind. Like, did I predict this? I I, I wasn't trying <laughs> I to. Yeah. And like, look, Slayer, like, I get it, but I was kind of disappointed that we didn't get the Brood song, which is an awesome theme entrance. It's like right. a top 10 entrance theme of all time. So they did Brood Edge without the Brood song, which whatever. But like the, what he wore was super cool. Finn's entrance was great as always. So top notch stuff. So they exchanged punches and immediately jumped out of the ring to grab a red chair and a purple kendo stick. All the weapons were colored for some reason, I guess. They took it off the cell, so they made the weapons colored so that people could see them. Maybe that's the reason. Edge quickly realized Demon Balor was different, and he just wouldn't take the same punishment. He just brushed it off. He trapped Balor in the corner of the cell with two kendo sticks and hit a running dropkick. Balor ran Edge into the steel steps, but Edge came back with an impaler DDT inside. Balor countered a spear with a sling blade. Balor then put Edge through a prop table outside with a missile dropkick. Edge came back with kill switch, but Balor kicked out at one with commentary selling how it's clearly impossible to put the demon down. So then Edge threw a ladder at Finn's head. And guess what? The demon got put down. Balor took one of the rungs of the ladder directly to his face. He didn't get his hands far enough out. So one of the rungs kind of like snuck through, hit him in the head. 
He got completely busted open. The referee literally stopped the match so medical could come in. He got two staples or maybe even more staples directly in his head in the ring, and he continued. So Finn is a total badass. Um, Edge improv by getting a ladder set up. Balor, as soon as they were done with him, immediately stood up like he was revived and just went wild. He leapfrogged Edge, who went headfirst into the new ladder, and he soon followed with a coup de grace for a false finish. Balor climbed the ladder. Uh, it seemed like he was going to do a coup de grace from the top of the ladder. Instead, he got hit with a kendo stick. Then he ate execution off the ladder and the top rope for a terrific 2.9 false finish. Edge set up a table, but Balor unloaded on him with a kendo stick and a chair. He went for coup de grace, but instead of going off the top rope, he jumped from the top rope onto the cell. He went onto the platform where the camera normally sits and jumped off to do coup de grace. Edge moved and Balor went straight through the table. Sick spot. Edge then caught him with a spear for another 2.9 false finish. Edge immediately went wild on Balor's back with a kendo stick and a chair. And then ultimately he nailed him with concerto for the one, two, three in 18 minutes. And the time of death for the demon gimmick officially came at 10, 22 p.m. Eastern time on Sunday, April 2nd. Balor was made to look like an absolute unstoppable badass for like 17 minutes and 30 seconds only to lose a match he absolutely should not have lost, particularly as the demon. Balor needed a win here, both for himself to be elevated and for the gimmick to be revived. Instead, he lost yet again. Judgment Day lost the last two matches in the Edge feud, and the demon as far as I'm concerned, is now officially killed. It should never return. This did not insult our intelligence like what happened with Roman Reigns at Extreme Rules. He took a lot of punishment, okay? And a concerto knocks out everyone. But given the demon had been gone since that Extreme Rules situation, bringing it back only for it to lose immediately to me was just inexcusable. And Judgment Day, a losing faction, went one and two at WrestleMania, again, losing. Meanwhile, Edge gained absolutely nothing from this result. I wish this guy would put some people over. He's on his last run in WWE, and he wins every single feud that he's in, except for the Roman Reigns, because that involved the title. Beyond that booking decision, though, Chris, and Balor's injury stopping the match cold because WWE refuses to show even a little color, I thought this was a fun-as-hell sell match. Balor was indeed made to look unstoppable, but only because he was the demon. He took an absolute beating. He's not normally the demon, so that hardly helps him that he was able to survive so much. Edge took a beating as well. The work was high quality from both guys. They bumped their asses off. Ultimately, I sit at 4.25 stars and an A. A cleaner match and a Balor win would have sent this into high A, maybe even low A plus range. But ultimately, it just didn't get there for me. Look, the guys worked their ass off w w without a doubt. But the match stoppage happening and it happening right after the Shane McMahon thing happened really took a lot of air out of everything. Mm -hmm. This was like two matches in a row. Technically, we were like, oh, God, is someone hurt again? We'll get to the Shane stuff later. But it like it just... To me, in that moment, I was like, oh, God, are we stopping another match? Snoop Dogg can't come and save the Hell in a Cell match this time. Like, like, So I, I'm glad he got up and you 
was okay and you know is able to finish the match and do everything like that but that just really took a lot out because the whole storyline here was like they go to that dark place you know they pull everything out this is this is all this is just about hatred and all these things and it's like oh we got to bring the doctor in it, 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 it like it felt a lot like that Finn Balor Samoa Joe match in Dallas way back in the day where Samoa Joe couldn't stop bleeding and they had to keep trying to stop it. And Joe was getting annoyed. The crowd's getting annoyed because it's like, it's just like, it took you out a bit for a bit. You know, they, they were covered and, and the match was good, but you're right. Edge winning. I just, I don't get it. There was no need for it at all. I don't, I don't want to say demons dead because knowing how WWE does things, they don't, they'll bring it out whenever. No, the whole, wanna, so you, yeah, I, I'm going to say this. I'm going to cut you off briefly. You were not an NXT fan. Okay, so I, I can't, it's tough to kind of break it all down in, in this type of podcast, but this character, the Demon Finn Balor, was unbeatable. I think if memory serves Samoa, yes. Samoa, I watched Samoa Joe. Then. I watched it back then, yes. Uh, okay, so this is a character who, when he became the Demon, he basically could not lose, except for one time he just so happened to lose. They bring it to the main roster. He lost to Samoa Joe, I think. Yeah, Samoa yeah, Joe. He lost Samoa they, Joe they bring it to the main roster, and it's just not treated with anywhere near the same reverence as it was in NXT. And first, are, are you, you telling me his scheduled match with Sister Abigail was not uh, the pumpkin? For the yeah, the pumpkin demon was like the first sign of this going to hell. Then they brought it back for yeah. Extreme Rules, and it seemed like it was awesome. They revived him; it was kitschy, but it still worked. He lost because of a broken rope. And here, uh, you know, at least this loss was legitimate. It was a concerto. No one, you know, recovers from a concerto. I understand that, but still. This was a situation where Edge could have put over a younger guy, not a young guy, a younger guy, and elevated him, and it just didn't happen for what reason? For fan service? Because fans wanted Edge to win? We got enough of that on night one, and maybe because of the main event, because we knew what the main event was going to be, so they wanted to make fans happy here? I, I can't justify you, it. I, I, do think about, I, I do think about part of that, because you tweeted, right before the main event, you tweeted, Baby faces are three and zero in singles matches tonight. Yes. Yeah. Dot dot dot. And yep. as soon as I saw that, I was like, "Oh shit, <laughs> Roman might win this thing." And yeah, it's possible you booked it backwards from there. Hey, Roman's going to win. They're not going to be happy. Mm-hmm. Well, let's give him an edge win. Let's give him a Bianca win. Let's do. Uh, you know, Gunther's going to win. They will like all like that. So, um, that that may have played a factor because because you're right. There's no reason for Edge to win this. Like he's got. Not that long left to wrestle. What does what does this do? What what does he need this for? He won at WrestleMania last year. Like, come on. Like, when's he going to start putting people over? And who's it going to be at this point? Like, I just it, it doesn't really it doesn't really make sense. One thing I'll add really quick. I just happened to see, uh, unfortunately to some degree, a picture of the gash in Finn yes. Balor's head. Did you happen to see this? Yes, it's like three inches long, dude. It is three inches long. It is. Almost, you can almost see his skull and it is all the way across the top of his head. So, you know, anyone who's like, oh, WWE, they won't let any blood show up or, or anything like that. And I know just earlier I said WWE won't let any color. I wasn't being sarcastic. I was just saying that's what WWE's rule is. Um, when you see this gash, if, if you see it, if you choose to see it, you're not going to question why they stopped the match. It makes all the sense in the world. No, I, I, I don't. Yeah, no, I don't at all question why they did. I just the fact that the unfortunate thing happened. Oh yeah. Again, right after Shane McMahon, I was like, oh, oh god, like. Oh, I wasn't saying you. I was saying going to hell. This night's going to hell right now. I was saying yeah, the yeah. royal you. I was talking about everyone. But yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. And and we'll talk more about the the totality of the booking 
shortly when we get to our grades. We have uh, two more matches left and some other stuff as well. Uh, Brock Lesnar fought Omas. This opened the show. Omas stopped a tackle and then tossed Lesnar. Then he countered a German suplex with an elbow and a headbutt. Omas also hit a couple body slams and a choke slam. When Lesnar dodged Omas, his head hit the ring post. That gave Lesnar an opening for three German suplexes. His back, though, gave out when he tried an F5. Lesnar then countered Omas's choke bomb and just decided, hey, I'm going to do an F5 now, hit it, and got the win in just under five minutes. Look, the F5 was impressive. It took insane strength for Lesnar to pull that off. And he both bumped his ass off and sold really well for Omas, which gave Omas a much-needed rub and some level of legitimacy. But the German suplexes were just okay, and we didn't get anything else. Like, I thought we might actually get a callback, like a Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant body slam or something. I thought this would be better. I did. In the end, it was somewhat a waste of Lesnar, but better him doing this than being in a title match. Still, though, there's a wide gulf, Chris, between this and being in a championship match. The most interesting element of the entire thing was Lesnar working as an underdog babyface, which has basically never happened before. The grade here that I'm about to give, it's not reflective of the entertainment value of the match. The crowd loved it. It was entertaining. But for a match, it was two stars and a C-. minus. Yeah. Also, by the way, for those who listened to the Twitter spaces before the show, we talked about this match, and I said, over under five minutes long. I took the over. Adam took the under. Mm-hmm. The official the official time on this match, according to cagematch.net, four minutes and 55 seconds. <laughs> I set the over under at 4.59. I did. Yeah. And they I won. just barely got the under. It's incredible. So, look. It was this was exactly what we expected. It was fine. I was hopeful we could get a little bit more. Try to tell a longer story like Brock so rarely gets to be the underdog, like we said. And we got a couple of skirmishes building up to the match and then three minutes in the ring of that. It would have just been really captivating if you could have stretched this out a little bit longer. But ultimately, this was essentially a low card match, all things considered. And it was meant to make Brock Lesnar lift up the biggest guy we've ever seen and slam him. And it was cool looking. Uh, so it was fine. I'm very surprised they opened the night with this. Maybe not because they opened with Cena night one, mm-hmm. open with Brock night two, but I would have opened with the Intercontinental Championship match for all the reasons we explained. But, you know, two, 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 two nights in a row, they opened with like kind of an okay match to start. And yeah. one, probably one of the worst matches of each night was the opener. For both nights. Yes, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Let's move to the second match on the card, which was the women's showcase, Liv Morgan and Raquel Rodriguez against Natalia and Shotzi, Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler, and Chelsea Green and Sonya Deville in a fatal four-way tag team match. On SmackDown, we had Rodriguez, Natalia, Baszler, and Deville in a regular fatal four-way. Raquel caught Sonya flying, booted Shayna in the face, and hit the Tahana bomb for the win. This got one-third as much time as the equivalent men's match, which at this point, it's like, how can that not be purposeful? What happened on SmackDown? We don't need to talk about it more. Let's get to what happened at WrestleMania. Liv and Raquel had great matching gear. Ronda and Shayna did as well. They wore matching geese to the ring with makeup and all that type of stuff. Liv and Natty with Raquel did a triple last ride powerbomb of Baszler. Shotzi got a flying crossbody and a nice tope suicida. Green then splashed the women outside and Rodriguez powerbombed Liv over the ropes into the group of women. Raquel then hit a fallaway slam and the spinning elbow on Shotzi, but got chopped down uh, when she was trying the Tahana bomb. Natty assisted Shotzi with a double flip over DDT on Chelsea 
and Sonya, plus a modified heart attack. Natty then did a double sharpshooter on them in what was easily the spot of the entire match. The crowd loved it. Liv broke that with a flying codebreaker. Liv then hit a codebreaker and Oblivion on Shotzi, but Shayna tagged in blind, and when she did that, Liv's fall, she would have had a fall there, didn't count. Baszler reemerged from a long absence with a braced calf and a wrapped ankle. Rousey stood over Shotzi to booze and tapped her out in the armbar with the heels winning in nine minutes. Ronda immediately did the belt gesture, and they taunted the faces after the bell. So there were actually some damn fine spots in this match, but given only half the teams were real, there was no actual stakes, and it wasn't an insane car crash like the men's match was, which was also a sprint. The crowd didn't really get up for it. I don't blame them. It's not really the crowd's fault. Six of the women did well. Rousey and Baszler basically did nothing, probably because Shayna got hurt, but then they just hopped in the ring and won with like a simple uh, arm bar without even much of a setup. Others will probably grade this lower than me, but I was entertained and I thought some of the women did get a chance to show out. It was nice to see Liv and Raquel specifically get a lot of shine. We got the right winners based on like what we expected to happen. The finish was boring as sin. Baszler being hurt with Rousey already hurt. Just continues, Chris, what I said on the Ultimate Preview about this entire tag division being just straight up doomed. Those two, Carmella got hurt. Booking changes from what they originally planned. It was a mess. Uh, I was at, yeah, let's go 2.75 stars and a C plus. Slightly better than like an average match, but nothing special. Yeah, it was fine. They got good spots. It's, it's what you expected. They're not going to put on as big a spots as you got from the men. So they did what they could. And and we got the right winners. My biggest surprise is just kind of how they won. You know, we, we expected Ron and Shayna to be kind of the dominant team and maybe ultimately win the match in dominant fashion. Now, maybe Shayna getting hurt changed what the finish was and they just had to go with it. It right. would very much not surprise me if that's what happened. But Ronda and Shayna just kind of getting a normal win was kind of like, eh. but ultimately doesn't matter hopefully they're okay and can go on and get the title belts and try to fix the curse that this division is dealing with right now i mean who the hell knows what they're going to do i mean lita is now the champion so you got to take the title off of lita because she's not going to go on this full touring schedule and by the way she also is not that great in the ring right now so they got to take the belts off her i mean maybe they still do it on raw but if they're both hurt then they have to delay it and then what the hell do you do do you just not have the titles defended it's the whole thing is a mess. And again, usually it's WWE's fault when it comes to the women's tag team booking. The, granted, the booking hasn't been great, but this time it's not their fault. People are just getting injured left and right. Plans are changing. It's really a mess. And or, 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 quit, or quitting the company. Or quitting the company. I mean, it's ever since then, ever since they quit, it's just been downhill, even further downhill for the women's tag team division since then. And e that's even with WWE on occasion actually trying to make it better. It's just been one thing after another. It's really unfortunate. We have two more things to talk about before we get to our final grades here. Bobby Lashley got introduced after the women's showcase match, literally carrying the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal Trophy out to the stage. He posed with it. I think they went then to show an ad or, or a match preview. They came back. He posed with it again. WWE cut away from him. Then they cut back to him. He started walking down the ramp. Yeah. Then they cut away yeah. again, and that's it. It was like a double tease that Lashley was about to get a segment without actually delivering the segment. And like, sure, it was good to have Lashley on the show, and maybe they just put him on so he could get a check and all that. But this was literally like the bare minimum they could have done. It was 
massively, massively disappointing that on this show that ended relatively early, they couldn't put together a 10-minute segment for Bobby freaking Lashley, who was supposed to have a featured match on the show. Look, shit happens. Bray Wyatt had an illness. We don't know what type of illness it was. He wasn't able to make the show. They didn't give him another match, Bobby, and they didn't give him a legitimate segment just to have him do something and be featured when he's one of their top stars. I could not believe what we got from him right here. Come on, this is not. It's a joke, right? It's a joke, Goose. You ribbing me? <laughs> I love that drop. It's a good drop. It was, it was so bizarre. And the night two, look, we came into this night with only six scheduled matches. So you figured, okay, they're going to give us at least one surprise match like they did on mm-hmm. Saturday. And we'll probably have a few other impromptu things happen. And when Bobby comes out, I was like, all right, here we go. Bobby Lashley, something's going to happen. Maybe we get LA Knight coming out and LA Knight says some things. Bobby Lashley slams them and we go home and just whatever. All right, like we'll get something. And then it just didn't happen. And I was like, okay. Like they Lashley posted a video of him before the show, like just sitting in the empty stadium, reflecting on just kind of where he's at and some things like that. And I was like, all right, they're like setting up for something to happen. And then they just didn't do it. It's like, it's like they either they, had to change some of stuff they wanted to add to this to this night or just didn't do it. We were two and a half hours into the show when we were starting to get ready for Cody Roman. And I was like, what is going on here? Like it was just extremely weird night two in general. And the Bobby Lashley was as much of a example of that as any. Yeah, you're right. And let's get to the other segment that happened on the show. The Miz with Snoop Dogg announced a, 161,000 combined two-night attendance, but said he had a problem with Snoop ruining his really expensive suit and putting him in the position that he did with Pat McAfee and George Kittle on Saturday. Snoop said, my bad, but Miz got in his face. So Snoop introduced Shane McMahon, who got a legitimately massive pop and was completely blown out once he got to the ring. Snoop made the match official. The bell rang. Shane did his punches, and then he tried to leapfrog Miz, only to land and completely tear his quad, just like his freaking dad. Unbelievable. So after a brief pause, while everyone like gathered themselves and tried to figure out like what the hell they were going to do, Snoop Dogg jumps in the ring, punches Miz in the face, not once, but twice, then hits the people's elbow for the one, two, three on Miz to end the segment. Triple H said after the show in the press conference, and I had two different takes on this, whether it was planned or not. Like it might've been planned after Shane got the pin and Snoop just did it. Triple H said this was not planned at all. It was completely impromptu. And let me say this right now. Hell fucking yeah, Snoop. What an incredible job Snoop did saving this segment. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Big acknowledgement right there. Acknowledge. It ended up being, Chris, way, way, way better than whatever the hell they had planned with Shane. Snoop, who's already a WWE Hall of Famer, earned his ring on this night. I cannot wrap my freaking head around the idea that Shane McMahon, the guy who ruined the Royal Rumble, according to all reports, and people were pissed off about a year ago was the surprise of WrestleMania night two 
despite the fact that the fans loved it. I thought it was a dog shit decision when they had so many better options, including active superstars who were not on the show. And a better decision would have been S-N-O-O-P-D-O-Double-J-Z. Okay? And what we got ended up being great at the end. And to some degree, it was made even greater. I, I was not wishing, and I do not wish, pain or injury on anybody. But the fact that that happened... And I was sitting there, I'm like, oh my God, what the hell are they going to do? This is an absolute disaster. And then Snoop delivered that. It almost made it better somehow. It will go down as one of those moments you remember. And we'll talk about like, oh man, something terrible happened. And Snoop improvised and saved the whole thing. Like, go, <laughs> go figure that a rapper is pretty good at coming up with something on the fly, you know? Like, right, right. Still, 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 still got that gene in him somewhere. So, oh, we're going to have another impromptu mismatch and. Miz was pretty funny about it. Uh, he was saying yeah. like, we just did this yesterday. Like you can't do this. This makes no sense. And I was like, all right. Oh, now we'll get stone cold or something. Mm-hmm. Like I thought, or maybe we'll get LA night now because we didn't get him with Bobby Lashley. And then Shane's music hits. And I go, Oh my God, I went crazy. I love Shane McMahon. I love his stupid, funny face. I love his <laughs> baby punches. I love the fact that he's willing to jump off a building and almost kill himself sure, for us to sure. cheer him. And he gets to the ring and he's blown up big time. That was the issue with him last time around was he was getting blown up very quickly. I was like, oh, God, this is not good. And then he goes down and you're like, oh, shit. He just and collapsed. It, it, yeah. got, it got saved and everything. And, and I, all I could think about was, look, this is my theory, complete guess here. WWE is about to sell the company. It is about to become official and known worldwide that Vince McMahon didn't trust his kids to take over his company. So you know what? We'll give Shane McMahon a a little WrestleMania moment, bring him back as a make good. Pay him. Try to show the family together and all that stuff and let the fans cheer him because who knows if we'll ever see him again around WWE. And then this happens. And I'm just like, (laughs) oh, God. Like that dude... Has that dude had no business none being as much of a part of the attitude era that he was. He was almost as iconic as anybody else in there for what for what he did. And that's why so many people have so many good memories of of him. And what a brutal way to go out. Um I hope he gets back and hope he's okay. I, I I'm gonna guess this is the last time we see him wrestling, but man Well he's out a year. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And and I and I thought about that and I thought about how in two thousand he wanted to buy the UFC. Yes. And here we are, yep. Vince McMahon selling the company not to Shane, but to the company that owns the UFC. Mm-hmm. And just how it all came full circle in this really bizarre way, and Shane gets hurt on the way out. Man, Shane McMahon is awesome. And Godspeed to his recovery and whatever comes back next. The dude has given us so many good memories trying to prove his worth to, to his father. He may not have done that, but he did that to us, the fans. And I salute him for that. Fully Kendall Roy in every possible way. He just is uh, yes. two notes before we get to the grades. Snoop now has more WrestleMania wins than his cousin, Sasha Banks and Oscar com- <laughs> combined. He has one. They both have zero. Also, night one had Bad Bunny, KSI, Lil Uzi Vert, Pat McAfee, and George Kittle. Night two had Shane. And Logan Paul. And Logan Paul. 
Well, he was scheduled. I mean, surprises. Yeah. But all, but okay, but you're you're taking the wind out of my sails here. The, <laughs> those were all surprises I just mentioned. Night two had Shane McMahon. I mean, it's just so bizarre. it's so bizarre and so lopsided and uneven. It just doesn't really make any sense. Sh- Shane's injury fucked up the rest of the night. Everything from that point on. Well, no, everything was, was screwed up. So let, let's go. Let's move to the um, the grades because I'm going to talk about that. That's part of what I okay. I think we need to discuss okay. when we when we do the grades. So look, uh, let's first set the table here going into this. Okay, Chris, when we did our ultimate preview, you and I gave pre-show expectation grades for WrestleMania overall. Both nights combined, we gave expectation grades of an A. Our final grades for night one, where I was an A+, you were an A, and the listeners, it was tough to tell because of the way the polls are on Twitter, you can't have A+, separate, but it was like almost like 93% A's, so they were either an A+, or an A as well. They were right there with us, okay? In terms of night two expectation grades, I was at an A, you were at an A on our uh, live pre-show that we did on Twitter Spaces, and the listeners came in voting 72.5% A, 26% B, 1.5% C, which just is just enough to eke out a A over an A minus. So all three of us going into night two had expectation grades of an A. So I'll let you start, as always, when we do our grades. What is your first, your final grade for night two of WrestleMania? And then once we do that and we talk about night two, we wrap that all up, we'll give our final grades for WrestleMania as a whole. Yeah, I came into the weekend thinking night two was going to be the bigger day of the two. Mm-hmm. It was not. Night one was better by by all accounts. So it's not an A. I'm on the B plus A minus, and I and I have to like, I have to think, do, do I ding it too much just because I didn't like the result? Because I like the matches. The Cody Roman match was amazing. The Oscar Bianca match was really good. The Edge Finn match was better than I expected. The IC match completely delivered. I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go low, A minus, for night two, but that's a really really reluctant A minus because it could have so easily been an A or even an A plus, if. Okay, so so that's my night two. I'll stop there. Night two, A minus. Okay, so you're at okay, you're at A minus for night two on its own. So let me start like this, because it's this is so tough. This was a really odd night from top to bottom. You had yes. and you mentioned Shane and everything went downhill from there. It started earlier than that, man. Baszler got hurt in the women's showcase. Lashley oddly came out and did nothing. Shane tore his quad. Balor got busted open and delayed and installed that match. The champions went 3-0 and with zero title changes on the entire show. The faces went 3-0 and in the singles match, le- le- singles matches, leading into the main event, which seemingly telegraphed the finish before that match even began. I actually called that out on Twitter. I didn't think I was going to be right, but I was. Asuka and Balor both lost matches they should have won, on top of all of that. And there was also this endless amount of commercials and promotional material to the point, like it was way more than night one. And every like two minutes, there was another commercial, another trailer, another promotional thing. And I just kept sitting there and being like, oh, really another fucking commercial? It was the polar opposite night, night two was, 
of night one. Now, I'm not going to get into what everyone will say and is saying. Well, clearly Triple H booked night one and Vince McMahon booked night two. Because, I mean, I doubt that's true. But it sure as hell felt that way. I wouldn't blame anyone for watching that and saying, hey, I wonder if that's what happened, you know? Because what other explanation is there, not just for the main event, but all of the booking on this show? It was, again, the polar opposite of what fans wanted in many cases. And WrestleMania does not have to be completely fan service, but it should largely be fan service. And it felt like they said, hey, we're not going to give you the result you want in the main event. So we're going to give you the results we think you want over the rest of the show. Except fans didn't actually want those results and they didn't realize it. And it just felt like night one was everything you could ever want from a night of WrestleMania. And then on night two, it felt like they gave fans the middle. Okay, that's an exaggeration. I was going to say gave fans the middle finger, but it feels like they slapped us on the back of the head. And said, "Hey, hope you enjoyed night main, one." I think that main. I think that main event. I think that main event call is a middle finger. I would say that it kind of felt like it was. I mean, think about it. Oscar fan favorite didn't win. Finn Balor fan favorite didn't win. Cody Rhodes hottest babyface in the world didn't win. L.A. Knight who got a insane reaction on SmackDown Friday night in Los Angeles, the same city. They couldn't figure out a way to get the guy on the show. Bobby Lashley didn't get on the show, despite the fact that he was scheduled to be on the show. Hey, why not just match up Bobby Knight and LA Knight? Yeah. Did I say Bobby Knight and LA Knight? Bobby Lashley you and did, LA yeah, Knight. Bobby Knight, <laughs> I mean, Bobby Knight could take a beating too. I, I think people would be cool. Yeah, but so. why not just match them up and just do it? Bobby's a face, LA Knight's a heel, boom. You have a match, Bobby wins, everyone's happy. So, it's so I'm just, I'm so stuck on my grade for night two in particular because yeah, the matches were still really good. Like the four main matches that we're talking about were great to some degree, different levels, but the results were all really, really frustrating and all of the injuries and all of the promotional stuff. And it just felt so weird. So I'm at a B plus for night two. So I'm lower than you for night two and I was higher than you for night one. But I'm going to tell you this, Chris, our listeners and personally, I think everyone reacted emotionally to the decision in the main event because we post our poll as soon as the main event goes off the air. But these were the percentages. 24% A, 44% B, 24% C, and 7% D to F. That averages out to a 3.35 roundup to a 3.4, which is a flat B. And I'm not saying that that's an unfair take for the listeners. If you thought it was a B show, that's totally fine. But I feel like 24% C and 7% D to F, you're emotionally reacting to the result of the main event. Of course, my big, I gave it an A minus, B plus, totally fine. I'm right on that edge. What's so frustrating is if you just flip the results of those last three matches, which you, the first two, Finn winning and Asuka winning, you could have easily done. It wouldn't have made any big changes. And then you throw the Cody one on top of that. That's an A plus night. Like that oh, is if, they did, if they did that's the right bookings, yeah. Yeah, that's why I gave it an A minus because it was everything was still set up very well. They just didn't do the right thing at the end. So, yeah, I'll say this: last year, attending it in person, and I, I said this coming in, I was wondering how it would go because last year the dead zone for two night WrestleManias is mm-hmm. is the is the middle slash like 
third of four quarters of night two. That's when that's when things just die because fans get a little bit tired. And at that point, you're ready for the big match at the main event. It just happened that this time around, we got Shane getting injured and we got Finn getting injured. On top of that, it just really sucked a lot of energy out until the great Cody and Roman entrances brought it all back. So that period, I, I think we can say now three years of two night WrestleManias, the, 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 the beginning of the second half of night two is really like just I, I would call it just the dead zone of these weekends. They need to figure out a way to even up the cards more because it's the second year in a row where night one just absolutely mm -hmm. banged. And look, night one this year was way better than night one last year, even though night one last year was awesome on its own right. Yep. But night two just completely fell apart. And my guess, Chris, is they load night one with things that they know fans are really going to love because they want to get you and hook you so that, oh my God, you love it and it made so much press and everyone's so excited that you watch night two because otherwise people may just pick one night or the other or they may watch it on delay or whatever the case might be. So that's my guess on why they're doing it that way, but it doesn't work. It's okay if night one is better, but it shouldn't be drastically better. Well, and, and you don't want to overshadow the main event. Right. I'm sure that's part of it. You don't want to overload night two because you've got the big one at the end. You want to keep people a little bit rested, at least so they have the energy for the big one at the end, which I get. But you're right. This is It's very clear the strategy is night one, they go balls out mm -hmm. and everything's great. Night two is hit and miss. And then you got to land. You got to get it right with the main event. Last year, like coming out of the stadium last year, Brock versus Roman, like, it was like whatever, like nobody expected Brock to win, but like we all walked out of that stadium just like really happy. It like I described it as one of like the most fun WrestleManias that we had ever had, and it's because we didn't have a main event that offended us like we so often get. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in this year, this year we're back to it, so people left with a bad feeling in their mouth. Yeah, they did. I, I'm very curious to find out what the fan reaction was coming out, and and we have listeners I know who are at the show. Uh, so please DM us, send us tweets. We will kind of revisit this, like I said, on Tuesday when we do the Raw after WrestleMania show. We'll do second thoughts on WrestleMania. We'll talk about the WWE sale if we don't have to do a instant reaction podcast on Monday and it happens Monday. Hopefully it happens later in the week or even Tuesday morning so we can just talk about it on the show or whenever the case. Um, but it would be you know, very annoying, uh, you know, suffice to say, uh, if we have to do a special show Monday and then go ahead and do Raw after WrestleMania. But my point is we'll talk Raw after WrestleMania, second thoughts on WrestleMania and the WWE Hall of Fame. That is the plan right now for Tuesday's show. But Chris, we have to wrap up our grades here. Uh, we talked about night right. one grades. Let's just kind of recap everything for everyone, just to put everyone on the same page. Our overall expectation grades for WrestleMania, both of us were A. Our night one final grades, Adam A+. Plus, Chris A. The listeners between A plus and A. Night two final grades. Adam B plus, Chris A minus, listeners flat B. Chris, what is your final grade for both nights combined of WrestleMania 39? I gave last year an A. And that was probably influenced by me being there in person. Mm -hmm. But I sit, I, I, I sit here saying... Like, I do think this year's WrestleMania was better than last year's, mm -hmm. even though this one had more frustrating parts of it. So I'm I, between it. A, I mean, A for one night, A minus for the next night. I'm going to go A, like low A, like 94. 94 out of 100. Yeah, I figured you'd say 94 that. out of 100 type, yeah. of, type of A. 
because even though like the things that we didn't like about this show, it was just, it was mostly just the decisions at the end of the match. It wasn't like the matches were crap. Almost every single match on this card was really good. And even the ones that weren't, were not like offensive or anything like that. We didn't get overloaded with celebrity stuff. We instead got overloaded with advertisements, but Kevin Owens versus Sami Zayn. That's likely like five-star quality type of match. Something you'll always remember intercontinental championship match. That's a five-star banger. The men's showcase yesterday was, was an awesome match. The Charlotte Rhea match. People are saying one of the best women's matches of all time. We got Brock Lesnar doing a cool thing today. I'm going to give it a... And Roman and Cody was a great match, even if we disagreed with the finish. Roman and Cody was an incredible match with a terrible finish. That's what's frustrating, because if Asuka and Finn had won, even not that, if Cody had won, everybody would be calling this the greatest WrestleMania of all time. They would, 1,000%. I I was right there, ready to say it. Mm -hmm. They... And that's a credit to how they booked this card, like how they had set up this card, booked it out for the most part, told the stories that they needed to tell for the certain matches. It was right there. And they just didn't do it for fuck knows what reason. Yeah. Like they Triple H set up what should have been the greatest WrestleMania of all time. And they blew it. Yeah. And that's what's so frustrating. I still give this an A. It's still a top 10 WrestleMania maybe top five. We all point to WrestleMania 17 as the greatest WrestleMania of all time, partly because the roster was just insanely loaded that year, but there were duds on that card. Oh yeah. It was a long card. You go back and watch. Yeah. It was this, there was like the old timers rumble match or something like that. There's, there's some weird stuff on there. If you go back and watch, but how did WrestleMania 17 end? It ended with, a weird surprising heel type of victory that confused a lot of the fans. Mm -hmm. And then that started the downward trend of the company and the business (laughs) because WCW had died and everything went there. So maybe this is just like WrestleMania 17 and that we did, we got a weird finish. Nobody liked and the company is about to be sold and who knows whatever. But I, I love this. This weekend was a lot of fun and I don't want my frustration with the main event to take away the enjoyment I had from everything else. It's more just a frustration of like, guys, you did this. You did everything right. You just didn't land the plane when you were two feet off the ground. Mm-hmm. I just, man, if Cody wins, you've established him in the all time, you know, annals of a moment, a star that you're going to have the champion on TV, a bunch moving forward. And you've got, you've got everybody calling this the what better way to go into a company sale than by having everybody say this is the greatest WrestleMania of all time? Also coming off of being the that highest grossing it. and most attended WrestleMania of all time. Yes. Yeah. Like you just, it was all right there. And that's just, just makes it so baffling, man. I can't believe they did that at the end. Yeah. But and I'm that's why, say, hey. and that's why the only way we can truly judge the decision in that main event is by seeing when Roman drops the title and whether it makes more sense and is better than this. But in the moment, it's very difficult to see how almost any booking that they do would have been better than Cody just winning the title right here. Erase the final 10 seconds of the match, have it end, have him hit a third crossroads, and get the one, two, three, and win the title. And we're talking about, yes, you're right, probably the greatest WrestleMania of all time. It gets lauded. Night two, I'm probably giving it a flat A instead of a B+. Plus because of that decision, 
But again, it wasn't only that decision. It was also the decisions in the Oscar match and the Balor match. It was also all of the injuries, the total lack of surprises and star power from celebrities and stuff like we had in night one. It was in many ways, I've repeated the term two times already. It was in many ways, the polar opposite show of night one, except there was still really high match quality. It was just surrounded by all this other kind of shit that clouded it. So it's really difficult. But Chris, I got to tell you, I think I completely agree with you. Like we were far apart, not far apart, but apart on our grades for night one and night two. But at the end of the day, we're meeting at the same spot. I think it's exactly a 94 out of 100 A. I had a 97 out of 100 for night one. I have a B plus for night two. And you combine them and that's exactly where it was. It was way better than an A minus. It was not an A minus show. It deserves the credit for the match quality that we got on both nights. Because again, even if you didn't like the results on Sunday, those three matches, uh, the Hell in a Cell, the World Championship, Undisputed WWE Universal Championship, and the Raw Women's Championship were all great matches, even if you didn't like the result. And the Intercontinental Championship, no one gives a shit that Gunther won because the result was, I mean, the match itself was so freaking incredible and Gunther winning wasn't a bad decision anyway. So, you know, I think people are being victims of the moment. I'm seeing a lot of stuff and look, maybe some of it's tongue in cheek. Maybe some of it's AEW fans trying to stir the pot. Again, never watching WWE again. I'm not doing this. Everything's so bad. And, oh, they did it again and all that type of shit. You know, kind of take a breath, relax, watch Raw on Monday night, and let's see what happens here, okay? This is not the first time that WWE has done something like this. If there's ever a time. That's the problem. But, but Chris, if there's ever a time, though, where doing something like this is acceptable, it's when you already have a guy who's on a 939, for some reason they're calling it 945 on TV or whatever, but a 940-ish day title reign in what still is, until it's not, the greatest storyline in WWE history. We thought it was going to end. They were going to close the chapter, but even if they were closing the chapter, the storyline was going to continue. They did close the chapter, it seems. They just didn't close it the way we thought that they were going to. This is still an all-time character and an all-time champion in Roman Reigns. The product is still way better than it has been recently. But yes, the finish and the final decision on the main event was massively disappointing. So I'm with you. 94 out of 100 overall in a WrestleMania. Um, but certainly very disappointed because coming out of night one, expectations for night two were raised even higher than they already were going into the weekend. And they didn't fully deliver, and they certainly didn't land the plane like we thought they would. Is there anything else that you have before we get out of here with WrestleMania 39, night two, instant analysis? Samantha Irvin is tremendous as the ring announcer. Second greatest ring announcer of all time. I stand by it. Um, I'd I put her top five for sure. I wouldn't put her ahead of Fink. I wouldn't put her ahead of... Uh, Tony, what's his Tony Chimmel? Tony, what's his name? Uh, Tony, yeah, but I probably would put it, put her ahead of Lillian Garcia. I put her over Lillian. I put her over Justin Roberts. I put her over Tony Chimmel. For me, she's number two. She's awesome. She really is, and she was great once again tonight. She's great. She was. She was. All right, Chris. Let's wrap up the show. Both you and I have some traveling to do on Monday, and who knows? There may even be a sale of WWE 
on Monday. Uh, you can hit our Twitter feed if you want a little bit more information on that. Just scroll to earlier on Sunday, and I promise we will do full coverage of that sale if and when it happens. But on the way out here, a couple reminders. If you haven't already, listen to our instant analysis from WrestleMania 39 Night 1. We also have instant analysis from NXT Stand and Deliver on Saturday afternoon. Good chance that you haven't heard that episode yet, so go back and listen to that. And a reminder, we will be back on Tuesday for our Raw After WrestleMania podcast. That will be our seventh show in an eight-day span. We will give second thoughts on WrestleMania 39. We'll talk about the Raw After WrestleMania, and we will discuss the WWE Hall of Fame ceremony and everything that went with that. And who knows, we may talk a little bit about the sale as well. All of that coming Tuesday right here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Remember, if you want to support the show, become a member, get some pretty interesting news and extra audio. You can go to buymeacoffee.com slash getting over. You can become a member. You can also just support the show and donate a couple bucks. We would greatly appreciate it because on this podcast, I happen to love the number... Five. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for episode drops, news analysis, highlights, and much more. If you do have DMs, thoughts, questions, comments that you want to share with us from WrestleMania, feel free to hit us up on Twitter. We will go over those on Tuesday's show as well. I did forget to mention that. That's when we talk listener comments and answer listener questions at Getting Overcast on Twitter. And lastly, on the way out, a reminder that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about... So be sure to leave those five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And on Apple, if you leave a five-star written review, tell people why you love the show. We will read it live right here on the podcast. Chris, my voice is finally going at nearly 2.30 a.m. on the East Coast. It is time for the Silver King and Vintage to sign off. We will be back on Tuesday. But at this point, I am going to leave you with just three final words. Bye for now. Bye for now.